hey, this is sort of how it works. Yeah, the driver's just kind of always a little bit of a battle. I used to be obsessed with this perfect back and yeah. through. And it's like, who cares? You can apply these things and your game is going to get better. Back aboard the Par Train for another monthly recap. I'm Brett, the editor of the Par Train podcast each and every week, and that affords me the opportunity to get to know every single thing about each and every episode, pick out the best parts, and deliver them back to you during our monthly recaps. So if your game's off the rails and you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The Par Train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Par Train, as always, brought to you by Roback Activewear. Tough to keep up with, man. I'll tell you what. They drop new products every single week. My email is chock full of a bunch of stuff that I have yet to go through, but can't wait to do it because, I mean, the, the designs that they have on these shirts are unbelievable, all with their own special name. You can get a cartload of stuff that you'll be sure to love, and when you check out, be sure to enter the code TRAIN, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. So for this monthly recap, we're going back to August. We're looking at episodes 257, 259, 261, and 262. And if you punch in LFG from August and last month's recap, six total episodes of The Par Train that you can go back and check out. But we're putting a focus on just the regular episodes. And last month, we featured guests like Lou Stagner and Parker McLaughlin, joining your favorite hosts, Evan Singer and Matt Cermak. Great episodes to go back and listen to and find a few key points that you can add to your game. That's what this show's all about. So with Lou Stagner joining the show back in early August, this is episode 257, by the way. It's called Repeatable Routines of a 10 versus a 5 versus a 0 handicap. Now, your game doesn't have to be on that scale, a 10 or 5 or a 0. So don't worry about that if you think this episode's not for you because it certainly is. It's more about that routine, right? What are you doing when you're addressing the ball? What are you doing in between shots? Is it working for you, helping that handicap come down? Or do you think maybe there's a couple of things you could adjust? This episode can help you find out exactly what that is. So let's dive in here with a snippet from episode 257 with Lou Stagner. When I just hit a solid drive, even if I pull it, 20 yards or I block it a little bit. It's not bothering you. It doesn't bother me because I'm actually like so grateful for a good strike. You know what I mean? Solid contact. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And you, and, and, you know, as long as we're talking about tee shots driver, um, I know we're going to come back to the strokes gains here. So off the tee, it's so important. There's a, there's a difference between um, 10 handicaps and five handicaps of, of, 1.2 1.2 shots off the tee, 1.2. And we ne- I never gave the approach number. It's 2.1. That's the biggest mm-hmm. driver. 40% of the difference between a 10 cap and a, and a five cap is, is going to be your approach play, your iron play. But driver is the one thing that's really driving this is, is penalty shots. You know, five handicaps are going to be a little bit longer and that contributes to it, but they hit less balls out of bounds or into recovery situations where you have to come out sideways. And one of the mistakes that I see a lot of amateur players make is they're always picking targets, typically middle-ish of the fairway, and they're not shifting their target away from trouble. There's a par five at a golf course near me, and I've tweeted this out a few times because it's a great example. There's water, depending on what tees you play, there's water that starts on the right about 180 yards off the tee. And it just goes forever. Like you can't knock it over the water that, you know, you'd have to fly at 350 to knock it over the water. 
And the fairway is only about 36 yards wide. Uh, from the edge of the fairway by the water, it's just a, you know, it's a 60 degree bank. So anything that is just off the fairway is going in the, in the water. It's, it's, it's gone. And that fairway is about 36 yards wide. For most amateurs, their target is going to be in the left rough, more than 36 yards away from where that water is. And I don't mean that's where they're starting the ball and trying to bring it back into the fairway. That's where they want the ball to finish. So let's say you need for you, depending on how big of an area you hit your driver into, you need 40 yards of space or 38 yards of space. So let's say you're two yards into the rough and you play a 20 yard cut. You would need to be aiming 20 yards left of that for the ball to then come back 20 yards and finish two yards into the left rough. 38 yards away from where that water is. I see so many amateur players. Now this is of course, assuming there's room to do that, right? If you have room to shift away from water, from out of bounds, from thick trees that you're gonna have to maybe not even find your ball or come out sideways from shift far away from those as far as you can. I don't care if you're going to be in the rough shift away because those penalty strokes are absolutely killing your scorecard. But do you think fives are actively thinking that? They need to be. Compared to tens? Yeah. uh, I I think golf IQ typically is going to, you know, will tend to get better as players' Mm -hmm. uh, handicaps get lower. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, You know, some people are, you know, five handicaps, scratch handicaps, you know, pluses because they're just, you know, incredible athletes, right? They're just physical specimens uh, not not like me i'm not a physical specimen so but i, but I, I, I think, have to yeah no I, I'm, I'm like you lou i'm not yeah <laughs> well just short guy right <laughs> you know um but i do think there's there's a relationship with target that you see the better player that it's all relative a five understands better than a 10 a scratch but understands better than a five and it's picking out the right ones um at the right it, just more at the right times and uh, understanding that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as, as the handicap goes up, I think the, even the, the, the bigger problem is it's, it's not just, you know, picking the right targets. It's just picking a target. Um, you know, if you right. ask a 15 handicap to answer you honestly, you know, on every tee shot, uh, if you went out to a scramble and watched a whole bunch of 15s come through a specific hole and when they were done, you know, they agreed to answer it perfectly honestly. And you asked them what their target was most people wouldn't have one like, you know, kind of just that trying to go out. Yeah. Just they're, trying to go yeah, out there. They're not, not picking yeah. anything specific. They're just kind of sort of hitting it that way and hoping for the best and, and not thinking through any of these things. I think that uh, improves as people get better and they get a little bit more, uh, they, they get more precise with their targets. They take more things into account. Uh, but these are things, even if you're a 15 handicap, you can apply these things and your game is going to get better reduce your penalty shots by shifting well away from them um, and your scores will come down. So Lou, what do you say to a coach that says, because I think a big thing I really want to get for the listener taking away from the T because it was my Achilles heel for the longest time. And I'm finally starting to see the light in the end of the tunnel in my game. Some coaches say, let's say you play a big slice, right? Let's talk to the 15 right now. Yeah. And you're aimed, you aimed 50 yards left. A a golf coach will say, you're creating a bigger slice, right? 
What do you say to that? Like, obviously, they kind of have to. Well, right? I mean, you, you you dance with the person you brought, right. but in a perfect world, you're working with your swing coach to, you know, minimize curvature, you know, for a lot of reasons. Right. You know, if you're playing a 50-yard slice, one, you are, you know, you are hurting yourself on distance. Um, yeah. Distance is really important. Every 10 yards, roughly, for an amateur player, you're going to get about a shot better. And if you have a 50-yard slice and you can turn that into a, you know, a two-yard cut, you're going to gain a lot of yards off the tee. You know, ball is just not going to go anywhere near as far with that much curvature on it. So mm. the straighter the shot, the longer the ball is going to go. So I would be working with my coach. You know, we're not going to, all of the things we're talking about here to optimize, um, you know, if you have a horrific swing and you're a 35 handicap, and I don't want that to sound the wrong way, but if you're a beginner golfer, um, and you're 35 or 40 handicap, and you're shooting 120 every time. You know, can you apply these techniques and help you to get better? You can, but that's not going to get you down to a five. You're not going to go from a 40 to a five right. by a play. You need to get better uh, with your swing, uh, which would mean engaging a coach, which would mean uh, working with someone on all of these things. And you know, the other thing I'm going to come back to what's really valuable is. When you work with, ask any instructor, hey, what what is every player that sees you? What do they tell you? What do they want out of the lesson or the the group of lessons that you're going to give them? Like ninety nine percent of of golfers say, I want to be more consistent. Right. It would be amazing to walk in there with actual numbers that you can hold up and say, these are my strokes gain numbers. Like this is what my tee shots are looking like. Here's what my approach play looks like. Here's my around the green. Here's my putting. Here's how it's been trending. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. And giving them that information and then trying to move those numbers, working on your swing with the swing coach and then seeing the results of that in your numbers, as opposed to anecdotally trying to decide what got better, what got worse. Um, but yeah, I would, I'm not, I would never in a million years tell someone to, not go to a swing coach and, and try to become as good as they possibly can with the swing. That's extremely important. If you want to get to higher levels is to find somebody to work on those things. We got to talk about the great differentiator between the five and the 10 it's approach. Lou, I was talking to texting with a buddy the other day. Actually, have I mentioned this to you? He's like, man, I'm shooting in the low nineties. Um, but you know, my approach play, it's three, four shots around that pull or, you know, push. And I go, well, He's like, what should I do with my swing? I'm like, I, I can't fix your swing over a text message. But I did ask him, well, we, the targets, uh, one of our themes today, tell me about your process with targeting. He goes, well, I just, I mean, you're in your alignment. because I just, you know, I look at the flag, name my club face there, align my feet left. And I was like, you're aiming at the flag? <laughs> and he goes, well, yeah. I said, well, I don't even aim at the flag. You know, Tiger doesn't aim at the flag. So he said, you, you really got to try to create a relationship in a visual with we hear all the time, the center of the green or the fattest part of the green and give that a shot to kind of free up your mind. So with all that said, Lou, is, is there a connection there between the five and the 10? Because yeah, well, I mean, 100%. Like I, I posted this the other a couple of days ago, crazy timing here. Uh, I put um, some information out there. I think it was maybe yesterday. I lose track of it all. It was between scratch players and 12 handicaps. 
Um, and it was from 125 yards in the fairway. You can probably pull up my Twitter as I'm going through and see what I'm talking yeah. about here. Mm. And these these, I think these I players, this. yeah, did you see this one? Yeah. And so what is absolutely fascinating with this is these were situations where the flag was cut five yards or less from the edge of the green, right? And so when you look at the scratch players, and let's say the hole is tucked hard on the left-hand side, and it's five yards or less from the edge of the left side of the green. And you look at the dispersion from the scratch players and they're shifted over to the right. The center mm -hmm. of their pattern is shifted over to the fat part of the green, over towards the middle of the green. And let's stick with the scratch players, the opposite. The flag is cut really hard to the right-hand side of the green. You look at their dispersion and they've shifted it left. They've shifted it towards the center of the green. You look at the 12 handicaps, and their dispersion, while it's bigger, it stays pretty much centered at the flag. They're not mm. shifting it left just or right. Just taking dead they're aim just, all day. They're, right they're taking dead aim all day long. And you would now, while their pattern is bigger, like the blob that they hit it into, the bucket they hit into, hit it into is bigger. Still, we would see the center of that shifted one way or the other if they were not firing directly at flags. And uh, these scratch players that were, will typically have higher golf IQ, they know that when the flag is cut really hard to one side, if you short side it on that side, Screw it's it. going to be really hard. Even to, for a good player. Even for a good player, it's going to be really challenging for a good player to get the ball up and down for par. So they're shifting away from that. They're avoiding that trouble. Like there might be there, you know, there's no trouble in the examples that I posted about. There was no water or anything in play here. And they're not shifting away from water. They're just shifting away from being short-sighted, which you have to think of is like trouble. So right. as a 12 handicap, you need to be shifting away from that. Quite a bit to get into in that episode. Evan, at the beginning, he was like, we went over a bit. That episode was an hour and 37 minutes long, so definitely a long edit on my end, but happy to do it. Episode 257, you can find Lou Stagner on social media at Lou Stagner. Moving on now, episode 259, a mental game roundtable. Evan and Matt riding solo on this particular episode, and they're talking about scoring well despite some driver woes out on the course. While we were heading for the middle of August, this one dropped on August 13th, Evan and Matt, they went back and recapped Serm's last two rounds in which he shot one over and two under, respectively. And like it says on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which you can leave us a review there, please do. He got those scores despite a lack of fairways and belief with the driver. So we'll head back to August 13th with episode 259, the Mental Game Roundtable, scoring well despite driver woes. Did you find that because you've had confidence with the three wood when you got, cause remember someone might be listening to this and be like, he's better with his three wood than his driver. That's what it is. But like we talked about in the first round, let's unpack what happens when you hit a three wood versus what happens when you hit a driver, when you had your three wood, did you get target side really quickly because you made a decision, you had the right plan. You focus all on your shot. It's, it's just like, yeah, way less thinking. Like yeah. the routine is flowing. Yeah. And so you see how much better you play with a plan? Correct. And it's unfortunate that I had to, I, I was like just done with the driver. 
right? It was unfortunate. But I also, I think guys, when listeners out there, there's just going to be certain days too, when you're playing certain golf courses, if you can't, you can't get up there and clear your mind and some, to some degree with a good plan to make it an aggressive swing of the driver, you need a different club yeah. for that day. Right yeah. now I've got to go <clears throat> figure this out. So, because I can't be, I can't hit it into the, I can't hit it into the water and the gunch all day. If I spray it and that's what. Yeah. What I've done happen. it. Oh, sure. All day. All yeah. All day. Right. But the, you know, the previous round, I can at least go find the golf in the trees. Right. Well, you right? got, you know, so it's, there's this strategic element sometimes too, you know, you're like, this isn't the course to do this. Right. No. Like, yeah. Well, it's one thing if your driver's lit off, but if you're second guessing yourself over every, right. you know, so, squeezing the club, squeezing the club to death, which is right. what I did on that drive on the fourth hole. And then I'm a whole different person with a three wood and, you know, and I can get away with it because it's not a super long course. I was, it was like, you walk off the day like that, putted like a hero, you know, you just, you're making putts from everywhere, six birdies. But Ed, why as golfers, I'm so proud of the round, but I'm also thinking to myself as I'm going home, like, what am I going to do about my driver? Yeah. Because I get a call to go play a long golf course tomorrow or somewhere else where you just really need the driver. Right. Mm. So yeah, it's like, what am I going to do? Right. It feels like something that you have to like solve. It feels like something that I've, I've felt that what you just described, I have felt that for years. And, you know, I was before, I'm starting to hit the new three wood good again, which is a great feeling. But, you know, before when I had my rocket balls, people were like, dude, put the driver away and never hit it again. Go, like, can I ask you something? Why don't you just go back to the rocket balls? Because I, I ruined what's it. been challenging for you is not only you, off the tee, you just had the struggles, but it's been with the three wood and the hybrid too. Like, yeah, like you got it. What I just described getting that go-to shot in those tough days is what you need to get back. And once you do that, that's going to at least level out. Right. Right. I'm starting to get that again with the um, stealth too. Well, why um, don't you just go back to the rocket balls? I'm well, I ruined it. I, I'd have to buy another one because what I did stupidly oh. was I cut it down before oh, I yeah, went we, to well, yeah, the, New Zealand. Story. Yeah. We, yeah. We remember that. But why don't you just buy another one? I could, I could. Maybe I should, but so here's my hypothesis. This is what I thought when you told me this off air before we started recording to me, obviously there's a plan and there's confidence in the plan, not necessarily even in the game, but like yeah. you made a decision, you were decisive, which I think is really important for you. And then you got target side and you started hitting shots. You're a shot maker. Yeah. Right. So anytime you start getting player side, that's a sign that you're getting stressed and focused on stuff that doesn't help you. So that's one. We know that. Two, I get curious that when I think about Arizona, yeah, and when I think about another round we did a podcast on this year where you shot, I think, under par at a very cold, tough, tight course. And oh, the other- I had, I had 69. With, it was like kind of like a course I, I was just describing. A lot of trouble. Yes. Like right. This, yeah. It's the same thing. A lot yeah. of trouble. Yeah. Uh, tough conditions. And yeah. we talked about two rounds then too. It was a 76, I think, versus 69. Or maybe a 75, yeah, or I don't know, whatever it was. 73, 69. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And the round where you shot a 73 was with people, you know, course you grew up playing much easier, great conditions, worse score. Now, the thing that I find interesting is you're a grinder at heart. Yeah. And this is a, this is the third time on this show we have realized that when the lights are on, so Arizona, we're in a competition, we're on camera, we're playing with people that have heard of us and the show, and then two rounds that are tough conditions, really tough courses. I think you, like a lot of really good players, sometimes you need a little bit of extra on the line to make you focus a little bit harder and get into that compete mode a little bit more. You're right, Ev. And there's sometimes I need to like kind of be hard on myself. I'll add in this is you just got this out of me. Maybe think of something on this round that I shot 70. The guys I was playing with, one of them was a very good player. We never played together. He's from Germany. He's got a rental set. Okay. And he shoots even on the front nine. And a great guy, you know, like we met once before. I'm like, how is this guy beating me with a rental set? Mm-hmm. I'm like, he's good. This guy can play, stud player. I'm like, so I'm like, would you just get it together? <laughs> no, these thoughts can be good for some people and bad for others because you're worried yeah. about guys. Bad for like, me. And we weren't even playing. He and I were not playing a match. But I'm just like, boy, I, I was really admiring his focus. He's like, a, I mean, classic German Bernhard Lager. His name's Tobias. Great guy. Just great swing. Great plan. Mental yeah. set. He's yeah. just coming out here playing beautifully. And he ended up shooting even. Like, great. But I think I so I almost took something from him. Like, boy, he just seems really dialed in. And focus a little harder, get more dialed in. So you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> I love that. Well, that just shows that, like, hey, sometimes it's not a bad thing. Like you create an own your own little competition within yourself, and suddenly you start to get a little bit more offensive. Right. Like Jordan did that every almost every game, it seemed like yeah. on the last dance, like he just creates stuff to like give himself a little bit of added juice. Now, the funny thing is, sometimes I can get in your way. You have to know, you know, your personality and look at the past results to see if that helps or hurts you. But I've played at a nine hole executive called Penmar here, and I have a tendency when I'm getting really uncomfortable or not feeling good, I won't make a full turn. Like a lot of people don't. And oh, when yeah. I don't make a full turn, that's what's going to make my shoulders dive out. The club gets way outside my hands over the top. And I hit the worst drive you could ever. I'm talking cut across high, like literally probably went 200 yards straight up in the air, 60 yards right on the other fairway on a wide open drivable. You're, you're like, how is this possible? And then there's this guy I'm playing with. That is stoned out of his mind. He might have been on other things, and he's just striping it down the middle. Man made swing. He's in his flow. And here I am. I'm thinking, you host a fucking podcast and you have all the resources you want. And Stony Baloney over here is kicking your ass. What the fuck are you doing? It's a similar example, but different with our personalities and kind of our yeah, way of like, talking to ourselves, but right. similar. It's, but it's isn't like, it funny how like together? Yeah. If we're that is instant, like ego comparison 
And in my case, I don't think it helps me. Yeah. Right. What I would, what I, if for, for listeners right now, what, what I take away sometimes and I took away from Tobias was how just assertive mm-hmm. and how good that routine was. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, not like in, I wasn't in anything else, just like, wow, he, there's a, there's a level of assertiveness there that I can, I, I can certainly do. And mm-hmm. I've just not quite had, you know, so it wasn't yeah. anything to do with how high he could hit it or the shots. He was, he was just like, boy, he really looks focused. Yeah. Now, right. And then the guy you were playing with totally opposite, right. In terms of the personality and what was helping them. Like, right. You know, but in the zone, the guys, they're, we all have our own zone in a different way. So right. I wasn't necessarily trying to copy my playing partner because he's different than me, but I was admiring his assertiveness and then I kind of ticked me off a little bit. <laughs> so yeah. it motivated me. And then I went, yeah. you know, I birthed the next three. <laughs> you know, it's just like, go, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. That's from episode 259, the Mental Game Roundtable with Evan and Matt, scoring well despite driver woes. Hey, if you guys head over to thepartrain.com, you'll get information about the weekly newsletter. And once you get signed up, you'll get one weekly mental game nugget or insight. And, of course, get early access to merch drops with the Par Train. And that's about to heat up pretty soon, according to this conversation Evan and I had late last week. A pretty sweet piece of merchandise could be yours, but no spoilers. Not yet, anyway. So, thepartrain.com. Get signed up for the email newsletter. No bombardments with the uh, email either. Just one mental game nugget and insight per week. Getting back into our monthly recap here, we're going to go to episode 261, game-changing habits to copy from your best rounds and patterns to stop from your worst. Evan and Matt riding solo again on this episode, again, 261. And think back to episode 257 with Lou Stagner and consider 261 a bit of an extension on that. 257 was about repeatable routines, so 261 being about the habits and how it can change your game and really sitting down and breaking down some of those patterns that can get you kind of off the rails, right? So let's jump into this, episode 261 with Evan and Matt. There's another one more time I want to talk about for me. My old Ricky Cup Sunday, so my Ryder Cup trip, I'd say in the last, not in the last couple years, but the years before that, I was known, I was always the number one seed, right? The only mid single digit handicap there. A lot of like tens, you know, and some 15s, 20s as well, big range. I was always the number one pick. Sunday match play, just like the Ryder Cup, was everything, right? As long as you have a chance on Sunday, the every match was worth a point. And I'd say three or four years straight, I broke 80 on Sunday match play. And it's so funny looking back. I almost knew I was going to do it. like, And it wasn't because I felt the pressure to win. It wasn't because I was saying I'm the number one seed. I have to win. It was because I knew it meant the most. And my intensity went up. My intensity and focus went up. And it There's wasn't a couple, couple couple past themes here. Ev. And it wasn't. It's so funny because some people do this in member guests and they get really tight. It wasn't that my intensity went up where I cared. I was super attached to where it went. 
my intensity went up that I got really focused on my course management. So I got more focused on, it was that member guest shootout mentality. All right, well, I don't want to bring that hazard into play. So I'm going to play smart here and I'm going to keep swinging aggressive and conservative targets. Isn't it funny? That's like the thing that everybody says, but it's funny looking back to those rounds. That's what I did. Just like the 77. Yeah. Now, if you look at the last couple years, when I did not play as well, I was much more into identity. I was much more thinking about I they're expecting me to win because I'm the number one. I used to shoot 77s every Sunday. You haven't done that in a couple years. What's wrong with you? And you got to be better. Even, and, and your whole routine's changed. Do you you're see how the negative? Course, yep. You're not thinking about course management. You're not thinking about how to play this shot, how to play this hole. Nope. You are just wrapped up and, and hoping to hit good golf shots on behalf of your friends. Hoping to hit good golf shots, putting more pressure on myself, not thinking about where I'm hitting it, thinking about my swing, trying to prevent a big miss. Do you see how different, how subtle, yet how entirely different that is? For everyone listening, I hope everyone's gotten to this point in this conversation. This is the difference between something so small. You can feel the energy of it, right? One is confident, trusting, but just focused on where I want to go like really focused on where I want to go. The other is not focused on where I want to go at all, which by the way, how can the brain produce emotion if I don't tell it where to go? Well, I remember at the bachelor party, you were just saying to me like, man, I just wish I could be out in the fairway with you and Ryan. Yeah. And I was just like, that's, that's when you know, your mind's not right. You're not even thinking about well, how am I going to hit this shot? Where does this need to go? Well, yeah. There's a lot of shame. Is it a three? What is it? A hybrid? Like, a lot of shame and frustration of just poor ball striking, yeah. being sick of the guy that's always scrambling, that used to have better ball striking, that you know is going through a bit of a, a rough spell. I mean, it can really um, weigh on you. This is a big episode, I think. I mean, I mean, you've just nailed some some of the great rounds in your in your career and and, and moments too, in tournaments too, in rookie cup, and it's that intensity that. I did the same thing in shootouts. Shootouts and member guests, same thing. And it's that there's a methodicalness to it, right? Okay. What's in front of me, right? And you're talking it out. You see me do that, right? Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not a surprise that this is the recipe, but like you're really, what's what I love about this conversation today, this episode We've really tried to transport yourself back into these moments, back into these situations. Yeah. And how it played out. Yeah. I really want Not people just to the do 77 this. Or the 79. Why you got right. It. Not just because you were hitting it straight and hitting it long and making putts. Obviously, that was happening. Peeling back the layers. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I am so much better of a short game player. It's not even close. Well, that's really than back then. Tell. Right. And the funny thing about this, this is a great way to end the episode. Okay. I want to make a video on this, but I'll share it on the podcast first. I realized that my short game gains have been, have taught me so much about what I'm doing wrong in my long game and what so many of us do wrong in my long game. Here's a theme of what I do in my short game now. I never think technique. 
when that's used to what I used to do hundred percent of the time, I used to just do techniques that were producing good contact. Now you look at the lie and you react to it naturally. I look at the lie. I think to myself, all right, it's sitting up. I can kind of sweep it. No, you taught me if it's sitting down, you got to gouge it certain different. I'm thinking about what the shot calls for and the shot I'm trying to create and what move that requires. But that required a level of understanding first of what I do and what I need to do, which is what Parker McLaughlin helped us with. Highly recommend his, his site, by the way, shortgamechef.com. Yep. I've been a subscriber on that ever since he came on the show. And it's just, it's helped me understand things, right? I don't put it back in my stance as much. I'm not leaning on my left side. I'm I'm understanding now how to have some spin versus not, how it rolls out. So every time I go up to a short game shot, I'm not thinking about technique. I'm thinking about the shot I want to play, where I want it to land, what the right. lie is calling for. And I'm very... That's that's what I do. And I have total confidence in it now because I've built up enough reps. I've, I've, I know what to do now. I'm not trying to reinvent anything. And yet with the full swing, there's still a lot of changes and reinvention. And Tara even said something to me the other day. She's like, I noticed you're always changing stuff. I've had the same <laughs> golf swing for 20 years. I'm like... Yeah. You got a yeah, you got a point. Yeah, it's a good point. No, but I think that the short game, it's it's not a mis, it's not a mistake, Serm, that the thing that I've gotten very clear on the shot at hand and I'm not changing my motion, I'm thinking about what the shot calls for, I've gotten really good at it. Same thing with my putting. I make a lot of putts and I don't think about my stroke anymore. And I don't care if it goes inside. I used to be obsessed with this perfect back and through. And it's like, who cares? This mindset that you've taken with your chipping and pitching, you just got to, we got to get it over to your full swing. Yeah. But I want everybody to hear that. And I'm glad you've recognized that. And that's going to be that combined with, you know, figuring out, you know, how to focus, how to be a little more intense, how to, like you were in those past past rounds. It's going to be a great combination for you. Yeah. Going forward. I think that's what we wanted to get out of this episode. That was from episode 261, game-changing habits to copy from your best rounds and patterns to stop from your worst. So we're going to jump into the final episode in August quickly here, number 262, fixing the yips or making sure you never get them. Special guest was Parker McLaughlin. He was joining Evan. Cermak was actually absent from this and another from early September. So it's just Evan and Parker himself, the short game chef. They're going to talk about the yips and how they can get into your brain and make a lasting impression and actually hurt your game. And you know what the boys say about the struggle bus. If you're sick of riding it, this episode will certainly help you out. So number 262 with Parker McLaughlin aboard the train. Podrick Harrington has talked about, he said his work with Rotella, who's been on the show, said his whole focus all round is to not comp- make any compensations, which is a little counterintuitive because a lot of you know, we hear golfers say all the time, like, you know, play with the girl you brought to the dance a bit, right? Like, don't try and fight it. But so many of us, if we're making a compensation after one miss on one, then we're bringing a new miss to two because it's compensation upon po- compensation. And now we don't even have near close to the mo- our true motion. We're just filled with compensations, right? So well, I think if you look, 
Yep. And right. if you look at like, like what you said earlier about your short game, you have a belief in what it is that you're doing. And you're just like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and I'm going to stick with it all around. And, and you've seen like dramatic in, increases in, in how good your short game has become because you're not changing from shot to shot. Right. You like, I have a plan here. I know what I'm trying to feel. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. I know what I'm trying to do. And then I can just commit to it. Now you're human. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to hit bad shots, but you're going to, you, because you've gone through like some of the program and you have that deep understanding yeah. of how the club works and how we want it to be delivered and how we want it to release and all that stuff. You have a deep understanding of, of what it is that you're trying to do. And because of that deep understanding, you're not out searching for like, Oh, I'm, well, I saw that on the internet and then I saw this one and then I'm going to do this Phil Mickelson one. And then I'm going to do this yeah. Brett Rumford one and I'm going to do something. And, and, you know, there's a million you know, opinions and, and whatnot out there. But what I try to do on my site is give people the information. And it's the same thing I did with, with my work with Keith Mitchell. It's like, you know, he, he's the most appreciative of that. I gave him the information of, Hey, this is sort of how it works. This is, this is what turf interaction. This is what path, this is what attack angle, this is release. This is, these are, these are all the things that sort of go into hitting a pitch. And this is, this is what's going to happen if you do X, Y, Z. These things are then going to present themselves. And so I gave him the information. And then he was able to take that information as basically his foundation and baseline. And now he can build some creativity, some playfulness, and some shot making skills with that foundation built in there. But he's not going to go away from that foundation and be like, Oh, I'm just going to completely abandon it because I hit one bad shot. He's going to be like, right. no, my foundation is solid. The information is solid. Boom. I'm going to just keep going through it. And, I, and, and he has continually gotten better and better with his short game. And this year, I think probably for the first time in his career, he led, he led the field in strokes gained around the green multiple weeks. The Riviera week, he led the field in strokes gained around the green. And uh, up in Minnesota at the 3M, he led the field in strokes gained around the green. There's no chance he's ever done that in his, in his entire career because he just yeah. ne he never really had the the foundation of like this is what I'm gonna do. And he likens it to to when he would hit a driver. I was like, well, what do you do with your driver? He's like, well, I hit a, about a two to five yard fade on every shot. I was like, well, but what if it's a dog leg left? I hit a two to five yard fade. <laughs> He just knows that that's what he's going to do. And yeah. so when he, I was like, let's take that same philosophy. And I, he works with Rotella as well. And Rotella was in favor of it. Take that same philosophy with your driver. Cause you're top 10 in the world in driving the golf ball. And yep. let's take that same philosophy to short game. Let's really have that foundation where it's like, okay, I know that I'm going to hit this same shot that I trust that I believe in. I'm going to make that same. He calls it his vanilla pitch shot motion. And then he's able to sort of play and be creative off of that. So he may change the face at address. He may change the length of back. So he may change how he sort of releases it to create some height or some, or some, uh, right. you know, lower trajectory, but his foundation is still that baseline pitch shot, vanilla pitch shot motion. And so I, I think that that's one of those things where, we got to get to a point of, of really creating a good foundation that's based in an understanding of 
what you're doing so that you're not just searching for random things yeah. like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to try that on this shot. Oh, I'm going to try this on that shot. It's like, well, you're just going to be like spinning your head like a dog trying to chase its tail. It's never going to work right. out very well. One thing that makes me makes me think of is we've talked about this sermon. I've talked about this on another show where someone might see me. Let's say I'm on a shootout and a member guest, right? And there's hundreds of people around. This is my PGA tour, right? And it's alt shot and we got to get up and down tight lie, right? If I put that to three feet, people might think I'm clutch. But the funny thing is, is that I know my key is make sure I have a little lightness through my transition and I turn my chest. And I know, based on what I've learned from you, that as long as I do those two things, it's gonna. I'm not going to chunk it. I'm not going to blade it. Distance control is distance control, but I feel like I have enough feel. And to your point of either, you know, hold it open a little bit for a little bit more spin or kind of release it to let it run. And obviously different clubs and length. It's like, okay, I have enough variables, but what I'm doing is the exact same like that. I guess my question for you, Parker is, is the full swing. Is there more feel versus real? in the full swing, which makes it much harder to get that same level of confidence and foundational knowledge of the swing versus the pitching, chipping, or putting motion? Yeah, I mean, a lot more moving parts, which is why, like, I, I stay in my lane, which, you know, chipping, pitching, bunker, putting, yeah. you know, 50 to 100-yard shots, uh, 50 to 80-yard shots, I feel like I'm I'm really good at at identifying the problem and, and being able to, to find a solution rather quickly. I feel like I'm, I'm very good at that. I would say that the full swing is there's a lot more moving parts. There's more ground reaction forces. There's a lot more, you know, like unweighting, weighting, you know, exploding out. There's, there's the sequence of it is a bit more complex you know, the wrist, the wrist angles, the, everything is more complex with the full swing, which is sort of why I stay away from it because I just, I know that I can help someone immediately with, with short game. Yeah. And so I, I, I like to be able to provide that immediate value and, and really help somebody immediately full swing. I feel like it's like, boy, it's, it's going to be a process on and on and on. And so I, I'm just a bit more attracted to the short game because of that. But to go back to your question, a lot of times with, full swing like I got out of a lot of my sort of driver yips or driver issues by turning off my my sort of thought process of like okay I'm trying to get it here I'm trying to get it here I'm trying to feel this I'm trying to I'm trying to feel this on the downswing you know like that was too much for me and I, I remember I remember talking to Justin Rose about you know when, when I was going through some struggles and and he he said, you know, I, I've got a handful of thought. I've got a takeaway thought. I've got a top of backswing thought. I've got a transition thought. I've got a downswing thought. I've got a impact thought. I've got a follow through thought. And I was like, wow, that is a lot. I, 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 my brain does not work that way. His brain does. My wow. brain is more like see it, shoot it, like, like, and so like, you know, I, I, I sometimes will equate it to like, well, there's, there's, 
there's Steph Curry on one side and there's Shaquille O'Neal on the other side, right? You look at Steph and it's like, bounce, bounce, go. And you look at Shaquille, it's like, bounce, bounce, bounce. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm, you know what, you know what I'm getting at? And it's like, one is free and athletic and it's like point and shoot. The other one is like, there's so many thoughts going on and I've been there. Like I've been in that spot where it's like, boy, it was, it's like hard to pull the trigger because you got so many thoughts on like how to take it back and then how to get to the top and then how to release it. And so I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm a decent enough athlete. If you just tell me like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just get more connected to my trajectory, my shape of the shot. And I really just get into like getting visual about where it is that this ball is going and start to create some things in my mind. That's when I started to, as Paul would call it, like clear out the cobwebs in my brain. So I got, I started getting way more visual and that really, really helped to free up all the the tension and tightness that I would have on the way through. And so as I just target side instead of player side, right? Yep. Yep. Rather than, rather than like looking at like, where am I back here and, and being so worried about that it's like boy i've forgotten what my intention is right and so now i'm like way more there and i'm like yep boom yeah and and you know there's a lot of similarities in that analogy to putting you know like i i really make sure that like if my players are stuck putting we talk a lot about intention we talk a lot about visualization and i give them a lot of different tools on how to get to a spot of, of being more visual so that they can be less, less stuck and less focused on, well, when I take my practice stroke, I notice that I go too far inside. Or when I take my, you know, I, I always look like, I, it looks like my club face is always shut at a dress and then I'm worried about it going back and then I compensate on the way through. And it's like, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I just videoed you for, 25 seconds in your routine and you you looked at the hole twice you spent 95 percent of your time looking here and worrying about that club face worrying yeah. about your back worrying about your transition or your or your your way into impact no wonder you're you're never starting a ball online and you're you're not making any putts yeah You've completely forgotten what the actual goal is with putting what is the actual goal with putting? Is it to like have a perfect stroke? The goal yeah, of putting is online. to like make a yeah. Well, yeah. but the end goal is to make the yeah. putt. Yeah. You can't always control that. But yeah, you go like, okay, well, if I'm going to make this putt, it needs to start on this line. It needs to go over here. It needs to it needs to fall into the cup on this side of the hole for for me to make this putt. Yeah. But the end goal is to make the putt. Yeah. Right. The same thing, like if you're standing on a tee box, what's the end goal? It's, it's not to make a perfect swing. It's it's like the end goal is for this thing to end up on this side of the fairway or to ha- to to be in the fairway in general. Maybe Harbor Town, you're like, well, I got to get it on the proper side of the fairway. But in general, the main goal off the tee is to get the ball into the fairway. Yeah, that that's it. It doesn't matter if it looks like this or it looks like that. The end goal is to be in the fairway. That gives you the, the 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 greatest opportunity to then get it up onto the green. 
That was episode 262 to wrap up the month of August, fixing the yips or making sure you never get them. Parker McLaughlin was the special guest, the short game chef. I'm Brett, the editor, getting ready to wrap up another monthly recap. August was good. September's looking good already. We're excited to get these next few episodes out to you. Danny Woodhead from September 3rd, NFL legend. It was so awesome having him on the show. If you're behind a little bit and haven't listened to episode 263 with Danny Woodhead, definitely get on board and check that one out. And something I wanted to mention, those are just portions of these episodes. If you want to go back through, even if you've already listened to them, chances are you didn't hear every single word and every single point that was being made. I do the same thing with movies all the time. Go back through, watch them again, be like, I didn't see that the first, the second, or the third time that I even watched it. And you start picking out different things that you can apply to your game and, of course, to your life. Thanks so much for hanging with us and recapping the month of August with me. I'll be back mid-October to do it all again. Have a great week, everybody. Hit them straight. And if you don't, it's not really the end of the world, is it? Enjoy it, guys. We'll see you.